Today, I'm bringing to you Cheryl Marshall Petrikoff. She's the director of development at a nonprofit called Lamp for Haiti. I'm excited for you to hear all about her and her career. She's another new friend that I met in a business mastermind a few months ago, and we're going to talk to her about her journey and how she makes money. So Cheryl, I like to start with something a little different and different than the interview is going to go. So I want to know, like, what are you obsessed with right now? Oh, my goodness. Well, we're living in strange times, for sure, um, as right now we're in the middle of the pandemic. So I'm, I'm obsessed with many new things. One of them is learning to cook new oh. and exciting things. You know, for a while, we weren't even bringing in takeout. So really, you had to kind of stretch your own skill set and really had been challenged myself, especially in the beginning, to be super efficient about how I cook so that there was absolutely no waste, you know, and what was ever left over fed into the next meal, et cetera, et cetera which has been super fun. And we've all tried some different things. I've been baking a lot more. It's just fun. I think it's partially the predictability. Ideally, you can receive a certain outcome if you combine a certain number of things. And I think when all of this uncertainty started, that was very comforting and very yummy. So So were you cooking much? I guess you weren't cooking much before this then. Well, I was, but I was kind of leaning more on my go-to's. I got that makes sense. Like, you know, I had sort of things I knew I knew how to make and everybody liked sort of the crowd pleasers. But then when you just find everyone's home and you're making essentially at least three meals a day, right? you want to spice it up. Right. So I've been kind of like trying all kinds of new things, buying different ingredients, you know, trying new recipes. And that's been really fun to just completely change what I'm cooking. Yeah, that is a lot of fun because I'm a big foodie and I love to cook. So it, I I love trying. I have so many cookbooks. It's ridiculous. So anyway, I usually start out asking people, what did you want to be when you were growing up, when you were a kid? And people ask you, what do you want to be when you grow up? What, what would your answer be? My answer was always that I wanted to be a teacher. That's when I was little. That's what I always said. And I love to play school at my house me and my sisters. I think that's because I loved school. I think school was like this wonderful place. I love to learn. Mm -hmm. I'm a very, very curious person. So I think that was part of it. And of course, teaching has been a component of every role I've ever played from being a mom to being a team leader. I mean, being a teacher is a part of everything you do. I think when you walk through the world, you're always trying to share with others and bring people along. And so that was in some small ways, I've, I have done that. And so when did you kind of let that go? And what did you transition to? Um, well, again, as I said, I was a really curious person. I went to undergrad thinking I would be a science major. And that was most of my course load the first couple of years I was in college. And then I realized I because I also love to travel and I was doing a lot of travel and I traveled a lot my junior year in college. And then I came back and changed my major to economics uh-huh. and thought I really want to get a job where I can travel a lot. I started feeling very concerned that I might get stuck in a lab or something else if I continued on the science route. Uh-huh. That's interesting because my degree is in economics. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I never thought of it in terms of travel. Like what, what did you think you were going to travel and do related to economics? 
I never really knew exactly what I was going to do. But what I ended up, my first job was actually my dream job at that moment in time. So I was super lucky. I got the the exact job I said I wanted, which was um, to work in advertising. Oh, so I moved to New York. I got a job at, at the time, what was you know sort of the biggest, most prestigious ad agency that was doing like amazing work at the time. Oh. The agency that had you know launched like the Apple campaign way back in the beginning, and Gillette. Do you remember the best a man can get that campaign oh, yeah. forever? And GE, we bring good things to life. Like so, this was the agency that was doing this caliber of work. And they only took five people for their then account management training program for, you know, new graduates. Right. And I landed one of those coveted spots and joined this place that had amazingly creative people, which was really what drew me to that. I thought, this is great. It's, It's business. Obviously, there is this kind of economics business role that you're playing, but you're doing it in this in this creative context. Mm-hmm. And um, it did lead you to travel a lot. I mean, I traveled to a lot of places because you have to go on these shoots, produce things all around the world. Oh, wow. So, That's amazing. Yeah. Especially for a young person right out of college. That's I know. Crazy. I mean, within two years of that job, I spent two weeks in New Zealand shooting a whole pool of Mountain Dew commercials that then premiered on the Super Bowl. And such an exciting first job. Yeah. And I worked with so many interesting people. So how long did you stay there? I stayed there a couple of years. In that capacity, in that kind of a job, in account management, and you part like half of your job is being the face of the agency to the client. Mm-hmm. So you're doing a lot of the strategy, a lot of the planning and administrative components. And then the other half of your job is going back to the agency and being the liaison to all the different departments. Mm-hmm. So you're making sure that the creatives are developing creative that's aligned with the strategy briefs that you've already agreed to with the client. You're making sure that the media buy is within budget and on target for what was agreed to. You're kind of you know going through all the different departments and you're the go-between. Okay. Which gave me a lot of chance to see what was happening at the client. Mm-hmm. And so over time, I decided, actually, that's the chair I want. I want to be on that side of the table. I want to be the brand. I don't want to be the agency. I want to be the brand. Okay. So I went back to get my MBA at Columbia. Okay. And then I took a job in brand management or marketing on the client side at Kraft. And I worked on Maxwell House Coffee. And basically, I worked with an agency. Right. Then I also got to do a lot of other things too. I got to work with the plants that were producing the product. I got to work with the salespeople that were working directly with the stores. You know, I was like intimately involved in things like forecasting demand and a lot more analysis and was the same kind of multifaceted cross-functional role, you know, where you're working with everyone in the company, but organized by the brand. So then I sort of shifted gears and spent really the bulk of my corporate time doing that type of marketing. I started at Kraft and worked at Colgate Palmolive after that, then worked at L'Oreal and kind of rose to marketing director uh, working on hair color, which is really a fun business. Yeah, that seems like it would be fun because what woman hasn't colored her hair? I know. And it's just so transformational. I mean, I color my hair now, but even at that time I was younger and I wasn't coloring for gray's sake. 
Yeah. Um, but color is just, it just lifts you up. It, it oh, helps perfectly. people feel as beautiful as they want to feel. And it's something relatively quick and easy. Yeah. It's like painting a room, you know, it's just so transformational. So to be a part of gifting women beauty in that way and helping mm-hmm. them feel as beautiful as they want to feel by whatever their definition is. Mm-hmm. Oh, that is a fun job. Yeah, it sounds like. So how long in your career did you do that before you pivoted? Well, so I did the advertising for like three years. Then I kind of pivoted more to this brand marketing and spent the bulk of my time, you know, doing that 12, 15 years. Okay. What did you move into after that? Along that journey, I had three children. Okay. Eventually I did a stint where I stayed home with them. Gotcha. Which was, you know, great for personal reasons. And I was fortunate to be able to do that because my husband was working. And one, so what I sort of did, just being the kind of person I am, I took all of my skills and started doing a lot of volunteer work. Um, So what I started doing was uh, serving on local boards for causes that I cared about and really realized that a lot of the skills I have were so helpful, not just for straight things like marketing, but also fundraising. Because, you know, when you're a local community organization, i.e. a not-for-profit mission-based organization, often your number one need is for the funds to run your operation. So you don't really need someone to make you an advertisement or come up with an amazing promotion, but you need someone who can take those same kind of skills and now help people want to give you funds to fund this this organization. So I started realizing through my volunteer work, oh, it's pretty it's pretty easy and applicable to take those same skills. You know, what what's the insights about the marketplace, the consumer or the prospect that would help them want to buy something from you? Mm-hmm. In this case, an opportunity to participate in whatever mission and operations you have. Right. So I, I started doing an awful lot of that kind of volunteer work was really fulfilling. And ultimately, when I decided to go back to work after I'd been home, you know, my kids were getting a little bit older. I went back to work in nonprofit because I wanted to find a way to do what I'd always done, but in a nonprofit setting, which I really actually hate those words because I'm not against profit. And I I think that's a complete misnomer for the whole category. I like to say mission-based work um, because I don't even think mission-based work has to be nonprofit. I'm not against profit. What's wrong with profit? There's nothing wrong with profit. Right. Um, but it isn't the goal of the organization to generate profit. It's the goal of the organization to achieve a certain mission. And I love that. Yes, I Um, love that too. But you can't stay, even a nonprofit can't stay in business if they don't make somewhat of a profit. Of course. I mean, you have to... You'll have to pay your bills and payroll and everything. Um, So I know I always thought nonprofit, it just, it's counterintuitive. Yeah. And I think it's I think it's really off-putting for a lot of people in a way that it shouldn't. I mean, I always like to say as a marketer, mm, you should rebrand that baby. That is not well named. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. So now tell us about the current work you're doing. My current position is at Lamp for Haiti. Lamp for Haiti is a nonprofit, US-based nonprofit that runs a major full-service health clinic 
in a part of Haiti called City Soleil, meaning City of the Sun. It's a very large shanty town or slum just out of Port-au-Prince. And um, the community that we serve would have no other means of getting health care. We're talking about, so Haiti, if, if people don't know, is the uh, most impoverished part of the Western Hemisphere. So it's the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. And we're talking about kind of the poorest of the poor within Haiti. So we're really talking about people who live on less than 50 cents a day. And they can't afford any health care, nor are there really any facilities. So we've been doing this work. This organization has been doing this work for 15 years. Mm -hmm. So we serve this local community. We run a full-service health clinic that has digital x-ray, its own lab, its own pharmacy, you know, EKG, ultrasound. We have three doctors, lots of nurses. And in addition to that, we do other community work. So we sponsor 41 kids in the local school system. Um, there isn't any such thing as public school in Haiti. So if you don't have some means, you're not going to be able to educate yourself and lift yourself out of poverty. So that's critical. And we do other kind of community efforts like clean water. We've cleaned up all the water towers. This is a community that has no running water. So people have to go to these big water towers to get water. And the water is not, it's not drinkable. I mean, that's how a lot of people get sick. Right. So we've, we've, you know, put all these kinds of programs into place and really a community-based organization. So my role in that is not directly any of the things I just talked about. So that's the work that's being done. That's the mission. My job is to fund that mission. So I'm in charge of raising all the money so that all of that happens, which is really fun and a great gift to me. It makes me feel like my time and energy is really valuable. So for people that don't understand how fundraising works, can you just go into a little bit about your your day or your approach to the work that you do and how what a fundraiser does? Because some people might be interested in pivoting to something like that. Absolutely. It's actually a pretty multifaceted job. Obviously, my my goal is to get donations. People don't really give, first of all, if they don't know you. So it's incredibly important, as is always the case with any kind of business. You have to raise awareness of yourself. You have to stand for something. You have to be something in a prospect's mind. And you have to stand for that. And you have to make sure they know about you. All of us are so busy. We have so many things on our mind. So mm-hmm. once, you, you're, once you're in a brand, essentially, and once you have awareness, then you have to keep that going. It's, you can't rest on those laurels, right? You have to yeah. keep... So, Part of my job is not directly fundraising in the sense that when I joined this organization, for example, I set up our website, I run our social media channels, I create the posts. So a lot of things that might be thought of really as marketing, Yes, that's all donor communication to me or prospect communication. Right. So a lot of the work is really that kind of work. I think any business or nonprofit really has that same kind of basis to start. And then just like a business, for example, I have a campaign running right now. I'm calling it a campaign. That's not what I would say to a donor, but basically a campaign is like an appeal. So like everywhere in the entire world during this global pandemic, Haiti also has COVID-19 on the island. And it is an incredible threat to everyone there. Right. I think theoretically there are are 11 ventilators on the island. 
I'm not sure anyone knows if any of them work. And we're talking in our community, we live in a, you know, we operate in a subsection of this gigantic slum and we service about 40,000 people. They don't have any electricity. They don't have running water. The whole idea of social distancing in this community is impossible. And I mean, they don't have refrigerators to even stock their pantries the way I stocked mine to kind of get ready. So it's such a challenging time. I mean, just the food insecurity that's resulting because of the shutdown that the country is attempting to contain the virus is an amazing threat to the community. And this is on top of just the normal health threats that every community has, right? So we have a COVID-19 response fund that we're doing. And so part of my job is to think about what what's the story I would like to tell people so that they can see how they might help this community. So I'm making that primarily to donors, to people who have already supported the cause right. in some way. And I'm helping them to see through my storytelling, through my communication, mm-hmm. in what way could they be a part of making a difference. And then I'm offering them opportunities to do that. Sometimes I'm offering very specific opportunities. Like if you give $400, you can send a kid to school for a whole year, right? And that would be like almost like a product, really. Other times it's a very open invitation. Like we need, you know, a donation of any amount. And then there's a lot of parts of that. I'm sure, Gail, because I I feel I know you a little bit. I am 100% certain you've donated many times to things that you care about. Yeah. Then what happens typically a, a dialogue happens, right? I'm going to thank you in some way. And right. then I'm going to, you know, continue to dialogue back and forth with you. And it becomes a relationship. I mean, I feel my job is both, you know, a storyteller and just making what the clinic is doing meaningful for my audience, but also being in a relationship with them, which means often thinking about how to thank them in a thoughtful way to express that kind of gratitude and to continue to bring them in to follow up and say, look at what you did. Look what we were able to build or look at this amazing child who was born because you support the maternal health program that we have. This is gorgeous, right? And so to kind of share that energy and to do that exchange with people. And part of what I love about it is that this is actually the first job where money is like my main focus. Of course, it's not. Not, I haven't talked at all about money, really, right? I mean, I don't really feel that my job is about money. But it's the main way that I measure my own success. Um, It is the transaction I need to have happen. And in essence, you're not getting anything for it other than the tax receipt I'm going to mail to you. Yes. But I have donors who thank me all the time for the privilege of being a part Right. Of something that is magical. Yes. And they're not wrong. Right. But it's my job to cultivate that feeling, to get people to vibe at that kind of energy. And that's a pretty cool, fun job. It's it's there is actually nothing being exchanged. So it's it's really so pure. But it is an energy exchange. It is. It is. Yeah. yeah. And and I feel literally I can feel your energy when you talk about it. Like it makes me feel excited. So I can tell that you're fabulous at what you do because you really believe in it. What is the most meaningful part of your work, would you say? 
It's so hard. I mean, I think for myself, you know, the reason I got into it is because I want to do work that matters. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, my reason for loving the work is probably a lot of the same reason I think donors give, which Mm -hmm. is we all want to be a part of something that's bigger than ourselves. We all want to take what we have, in my case, often my skills, right? And leverage what we have to help others. Because the more you give, the more you receive. I mean, I think the people who love to do this, like myself, and the people who are generous and share what they have with others, they get that. Yes. Get that idea. I think part of what I do is to remind people that we do live in abundance and everyone has enough to share. And by highlighting these needs, I'm giving you an opportunity to do that. And when I come at it that way, people hear it in that way. And it is, it's amazing. Well, you know, I talk a lot about money mindset and just what you said, you know, it lets people know that they can make money by keeping it moving. They can, the circulation of the money is so important. And so, like you said, when you give, you receive it, you might not receive dollars, but you receive I think it's wealth, a different level of wealth that you receive in giving. So I want to I want to change direction a little bit because we met in the program called Made to Do This. And so what project were you working on during that time? So I am really interested in trying to better support parents whose kids are kind of struggling and really suffering sometimes with mental health challenges. I know firsthand that that is a group that's underserved and often overwhelmed. I know parents are passionate. I mean, we all love our kids like so far beyond words, but you can still many times as a parent find yourself in a situation where you're not sure what to do or how to do it. And you can have all the passion in the world, but when your child is suffering and there isn't clarity about that, that is so stressful. And we have a very fragmented, broken mental health system. And we have on top of that, a culture that has a lot of beliefs about mental health that result in people feeling shame and stigma. Yes. And those two things, a less than ideal system, too much shame and stigma, really burden the people who need help. And so I, you know, feel very called personally to leverage the kind of learned wisdom that that I've gained along my own journey as a parent in that situation and help others. So I really I see it as trying to make more resources available to empower parents so they have more clarity and also just to connect people. I mean, the whole idea, I think any of us, I know you have a daughter, Gail, you know, you often talk about her and I've got three kids, as I mentioned. And, you know, just think about what you would do if you needed to find a great summer camp or you needed to find an orthodontist or, you know, your daughter broke her arm. You would ask your trusted girlfriends, you would say like, hey, who's Who has ever had this happen to them? Give me some feedback. We all do that. But we don't do that when it's this topic because people feel shut down by shame. So 
there isn't enough readily available information, and you can't use the things we all do all the time naturally to get that information, to get that advice, and to get the support and the encouragement. It's super hard to be in that situation, and and the parents need that so much. So, you know, I've been trying to work on developing different programs to try and and help that, and I hope I'll you know continue to well, get that I'm out sure, there. I'm sure you will get it out there, and I I can relate. Um, from a mental health perspective, because there were some issues in my family, and I totally understand the whole stigma. But also, I've mentioned before, I don't know if you've heard me say it, but my daughter was born three months premature. So right. I went through years of people telling me, oh, she's not normal. And I don't know about with a preemie, but, you know, and so I was on this journey pretty much alone and having to be her advocate. And I really, really push people to advocate not only for their children's health, but for their own health. And now in my situation, my daughter had a baby who has a problem with his arm. His his arm is not fully formed. So now my daughter is go on a similar journey. So I just say it's interesting how God works and who's better to be his grandmother than me because I've been through it. So I totally understand what you're saying. And the need is out there just to educate people, to advocate for their children in general, no matter what their kids are going through. And and there aren't enough people talking about that at all. You know, you, you see this one person that they hold up that's advocating for a particular cause, but people are dealing with it every day in their lives. So I, I definitely hope that you continue that work. And I'm sure that you will, because I think it's important work. So um, tell everybody how they can reach you. I mean, I know you don't have like a business site, but you might, if people want to connect with you and just reach out, how can they? Absolutely. Um, well, people could find me on Instagram. My handle is safe to exhale. I, I would love to have people follow me. And I, you know, I post on this topic all the time. So that'd be great. Okay. Well, thank you so much. I really enjoyed the conversation and I'm sure the listeners will definitely enjoy it too. Great. Thanks so much, Gail. Have a great day. You too.